Welcome to Growth Capital, the podcast from the Quoted Companies Alliance. Our organization champions public companies. Some of them are small, some of them are mid-sized. They could be worth a handful of millions or hundreds of millions of pounds. Our aim is to make life better for our members on the stock market. Less cost to complexity, more buyers and sellers, a better story overall so they can focus on growth, creating jobs and spreading wealth. I'm James Ashton, the QCA's Chief Executive. I'm delighted that this series of conversations is being sponsored by Mazar, the audit, tax and advisory firm helping listed businesses grow with purpose. Today's conversation is all about talent in the boardroom. How do public companies, particularly mid-caps and small-caps, attract non-executive directors of the right caliber to support their growth and development. I'm joined by two guests from QCA member companies. Lara Islan is Director of Data Strategy at ITV and in 2021 joined the board of Ebiquity, a media data firm that helps companies analyze their media spending and marketing campaigns. David Dumeric of Tizak Partners is a headhunter of some years standing who counts among his specialisms the recruitment of non-executive directors. Here's the conversation. Lara, let me start with you. I'm really interested in your journey uh, into non-executive dumb. The, the, the role at Ubiquity began in June 2021. Was it something you were looking at? Did you think to develop my career on the, the next stage, I, I really should be a non-exec? So I think my, um, my, my sort of thinking around non-exec, being a non-executive director goes really a long way back. Um, so just a bit of context. Um, my father um, was a corporate lawyer, he's retired now. Um, and when he retired from executive work, he, he subsequently went uh, and into in independent directorship and in fact has been an independent director and chairman of many companies over the last 20 years. And I'm very sort of influenced by him. And so I think I, I, I always thought from quite, an early stage in my career that I would sort of follow in his footsteps. So I always knew that it was, you know, somewhere in my future. Um, but about, I guess, three years ago, I started to think about it a little bit more, although I hadn't really gone in to properly investigate. I'd, you know, done, you know, spoke to a few people and, and, and attended a couple of webinars, um, but I didn't think it was necessarily my time Yet, um, so I was very fortunate actually when a recruiter approached me uh, about ubiquity, and I, and, I, and I won't lie, I was actually quite surprised at the time uh, that that they had reached out to me. But I was very very pleased to have the conversation with them, um, and um, I think it, it it sort of went from there. And if I if I think about the the, the sort of whole process, I think. What was really, really helpful was, um, well, first of all, I think the recruiters' efforts to think laterally, probably in terms of, you know, sourcing um, uh, the, you know, the sign of skill sets or experiences that the board needed and, and found me. So I was very, very glad for that. Um, but then also the, you know, the really good guidance that I received from them as I was going through the process in terms of, you know, being a sort of a first time uh, person and, uh, you know, in this process, um, the recruiter really provided me with a lot of, of guidance and, you know, pointed me in the right direction in terms of preparation and my thinking around, you know, my readiness to be a director and what it meant, the expectations, etc. 
Um, and the process itself with the board at Ibiquiti was was brilliant. It, it was it was obvious that the chair and the board had really thought hard about you know the the right composition for the board given where the business was. It was in fact looking to transform and and grow, and it needed um, you know not only the professional um, uh, expertise around the board, but it also needed someone who understood you know, um, data and technology and, and digital, hence, you know, looking for someone like myself. So it was, it was, um, it was a really positive journey for me, actually. It was a bit of a surprise at the start, but I think, um, you know, it, it, it was a very smooth sort of process. And I absolutely see, um, you know, this doing more in the future. Okay. I mean, uh, it's really great to hear that you're, there's something about following your, in your father's footsteps there. I suppose just to elaborate on that, um, what's the attraction? Because it's it's more work. It drags you off in a different direction, and so I, I'd love you to to elaborate on that. Sure. And I have to say, because I, I'm I'm still um, I still have a full full time executive position. Um, the role as non executive director is it definitely sits on top of that. So while I was sort of figuring out this was right for me, I was certainly making sure, in addition to you know, it being a good cultural fit, it also had to fit with schedules so that I could devote the time that I knew would be needed in order to do well at it. Um, I think, so in terms of my background, I've, um, I've worked in media for, for many years and, and for the most part in roles that involved um, digital transformation. Um, I've worked across multiple types of role within media. So from strategic planning to kind of corporate strategy, uh, to technology, product, and most recently data strategy. Um, and, you know, I, I tend to get in my career so far, I tend to get involved um, when um, the company's sort of changing direction. So there's a lot of strategy and change work uh, and a lot of advisory work that goes with that. And I think um, you know th those were the sort of those are the sort of skill sets that I was you know constantly employing throughout my my career, and it seemed like uh, sort of a really good fit. Um, and in fact, it was something I thought I would love to do to kind of you know be part of the journey of companies and and probably smaller companies who who were themselves transforming uh, and could use sort of you know a, sort of an advisor strategic. Um, additional strategic thought partner on on the board, uh, so I guess it, you know that was what that was what appealed to me um, from from the start. Now, obviously, having been in Ned now for two years, I also understand that there's a lot of corporate governance and um, uh, you know a, a lot more responsibilities to shareholders uh, and the wider stakeholder community, um, and uh, you know. A, constantly trying to find that that balance in, in terms of how I serve the board. Yeah, yeah, and we'll come on to that. And David, let me bring you, and you've placed plenty of non-execs over the years. Um, does Lara's story as a first-time Ned sound familiar? Because there's a certain sense, um, you know, if you're director of data strategy at ITV and there's a company um, that uh, helps um their clients analyze media spending and marketing campaigns that needs a Ned. This sounds like a good fit. Does it sound like a familiar story to you though? Um, yeah, I think we, first we are absolutely delighted to hear that the recruiter who wasn't me had spent so much time, um, 
actually preparing Lara because quite often that I hear that's not the case. I think the 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 pl- the platform that she's gone through the the mo- the way that she's gone onto the board is, is fairly familiar, uh, and I think this is with smaller companies this is uh, especially the case that they are actually often looking for a particular skill set that they want to have on the board to bolster the executive team, uh, and there's a Often the non-execs are almost a hybrid of being a non-exec stroke advisor uh, rather than purely the non-exec. And, and I'm, I'm also pleased that, that Lara's been able to balance her executive and her non-executive career. And I think that's, that's a really tricky balance sometimes to, to, to get, especially because Murphy's law dictates that when something goes wrong in one, it'll probably go wrong in the other and then there'll be a a complete overload. So I think it's it's really very important that when people do go onto the board, if they have got a full-time job as well, that they really think through, actually, do I have time? And it's sort of the basic things like, do we have the uh, coincident year-end? You know, th- things like that are just important to, cons- to consider when you go onto the board as a first-time lead. It's worth saying, and I suppose, Lara, you've only got the experience of one, but there is a, a great difference we observe at the QCA between being a NED on a, on a large cap and a small cap. I mean, clearly there is, a, you've alluded to it, there's, there's a lot of uh, commitment. I guess there's quite a bit of reading, um, but with the, the small and mid cap, with those companies that are growing and really looking for new skills, it really feels to us, as David says, that, that advisory role. I mean, you, you can't not roll your sleeves up. No, I think that's absolutely right. And I get, just to kind of echo what David said, I mean, one of the things that I, um, you know, as part of my due diligence into the company before accepting was really understanding that time commitment. And um, I can't remember who told me, it might have been my father, but, um, you know, to basically double the number. So if they say, uh, 12 days a week, it's 24, etc. Does that, does that and, stretch to the paperwork as well? Is it, if, it, if it's 200 pages, it's actually 400 pages to read in the board pack. I think it might be something like that. So I did, I did that maths. And obviously, being, having an executive role as well, I, um, uh, you know, I had to clear it with my company to make sure there was no conflict of interest. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it was, a, it was a sort of a complementary piece. So... Uh, you know, I, I definitely echo that. And in fact, I have since in the last two years been um, in the process of looking for a second NED position. And um, and what I've seen actually in my, you know, as I've been looking at different opportunities is there's really a wide range in terms of expectations and commitment. In fact, I've pulled out of, of, of a couple of processes where you know, it was 24 days and therefore 48 didn't, didn't work at all. So we needed, I really did need to make sure that in addition to it being a cultural fit, um, it had to fit in terms of expectation yeah. time commitment yeah. as well. Sorry, they Dave, pleaded I, with I went... you. They said, where did you get this 48 from? And you said, well, I've done, I've done, I've done the arithmetic I was told to do. So it's very, very that, interesting. That's very simple maths that I yes, can do. Yes, multiply it by I, I, did what, you I did what my dad told me to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lara, exactly. Re, re, um, 
you mentioned culture, David. Uh, in in your role, and I'll come on to some of the specifics for small for, for small caps and so on. How do you prevent that organ rejection? How do you make sure that when you are assembling these boards that um, you are getting the right cultural fit? I think it that's almost the most important thing, and and at the end of the day, that's what a good headhunter will do, and how. There isn't a magic source, in, funnily enough. And, and by the way, we, don't, we all know roughly the same people. They may be different, but they all have the same attributes. Um, it really is down to the board to be prepared to commit time to meeting with the headhunter so that we get an understanding of the board dynamics, of what they're about, of what they're like. And therefore, we probably can't say, yes, this is definitely going to fit, but we can filter out a whole load of people who definitely won't fit at a fairly early stage. Uh, and it's also the board investing a lot of time in meeting with the prospective candidates. You know, I get very frightened and worried when the board says, oh, well, we're, you know, we're just going to have one meeting with the candidates and then we're going to make a, make a decision because that's probably not enough. What Two is a minimum and maybe two plus meeting with the chair again. I'm a great believer in certainly the candidate and maybe even the candidates and their partner having dinner with or lunch or whatever with uh, members of the board in a non-work environment just to make sure that that cultural fit actually works. David, the exam question, kind of the exam question for this episode was... Uh was whether small caps can attract the talent they need around the board table. As you look across the market, do you think, I mean, clearly they all have the requisite number of NEDs, most of them anyway, but do you think there is a talent issue? Um, I don't think there is a talent issue necessarily. I think there, however, and I'm, I'm not, I'll come back to the question, but I think a lot of it is about remuneration. Um, if you sit on the board of a FTSE 100, your risk, reputational risk is, okay, if it goes horribly pear-shaped, is very high, but very, very few of them do. The risk-reward ratio, when you're sitting on a FTSE 100 and you're getting paid 75, pounds as a non-exec, is very different to when you're sitting on the board of a smaller company uh, and you're getting a significantly smaller amount and actually the risk is equally, if not greater, because a fast-growing company can go off the rails. So I think that's one of the issues that people say, well, I'm not sure that the risk-reward ratio works for them. Um, but but overall, is it worth the risk? Yeah. But overall, uh, overall, I think uh, there is plenty of talent around that wishes to join the boards. It's a question of whether or not the small, some of the companies actually are prepared to make the effort to hire people who are going to really contribute to the board. Uh, yeah. I mean, there is still a reluctance. Well, why should we pay somebody to go out and find somebody when we know some mates of our own? And, and there is this still quite a bit of bringing the mate on board just because they happen to be available on a wet Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, we took part in a study recently that said that... Um, uh, we, a survey of NEDs and, and nearly two thirds, 61% of those respondents said they turned down NED roles with growth companies. And uh, this is 
That statistic was quite surprising. This one is less so, I think. Almost every respondent, 98%, believed that the work required and the risk profile attached had increased in, in recent years. Lara, as you're looking for number two, and I'm interested in your perspective because clearly you have worked in the US as well, where there is a different model for um, remunerating NEDs and quite often there'll be shares or share options um, included as part of the package. And there's a bit of that now in the UK as well, um, I think, although some investors frown on it. I mean, does I don't think anyone goes into a NED career to get rich quick, but does sort of incentive will that draw your eye as you look for role number two? Oh, this is really interesting. So, yes, I worked in the US the early part of my career, so obviously I wasn't very close to the NED scene. Um, but just, I guess, from my experience of looking at different types of NED stroke board advisory roles in the last couple of years for my number two, I, that, like I said, there has been a wide range of um, uh, options. Um, one of the one of the uh, opportunities that really caught my attention was um, a board advisory role and, and with with net responsibilities for a startup. And in that case, it was they were offering a mix of um, uh, sort of base, but quite quite a, a limited base um, and equity and. Um, I I was attracted to 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 the role actually because of what the business was trying to do and where I thought I could actually add value um, and the remuneration I think seemed fair for where they were in in the journey um, and so I think it I think it has to be a bit of a balance you know that kind of how much you um, feel a fit with the company and what you, and what potential you think it can you know, it can achieve and how you can help and, you know, what the remuneration looks like side by side. Um, I, you know, like you said, I'm not, I definitely don't think this is the way to get rich quick. Um, but for me, it is that balance be between the sort of the opportunity that the, the company affords me and what I could, could, could do and that package. And this was a, this, you say a startup. So this was a, this was a private company, was it? Or was it, a, was it a growth company? Okay. So, so different, was, so, so um, different to, yeah. different to ubiquity. I think um, you've you, you raised an important point there about, you know, the, the remuneration. I mean, one of the first questions I always ask somebody who says to me, I, I'm thinking, you know, having a non-exec uh, or non-exec career and I'm saying, well, look, can you afford never to work again? Because if you can't, carry on with the day job until you can, <clears throat> partly because one of the only levers that a non-executive director has is the ability to walk away if things are really going wrong. And if you're in there for the money, you, it, it slightly alters that um, equilibrium. Whereas if you're, you know, so if you, if you need to do this for the money or, or you're doing it to build a portfolio that will give you a financial reward that's not the right thing to be doing at all mm. i mean it's interesting david you're saying that the the you know there are the candidates and actually um it is for the company to to go to go hunting let me ask you on the point of independence because this is something that we talk a lot about with with members i mean 
is it uh, and you because you also talked about you know getting someone that the board already knows onto to the board and so on i think i think that's a that's a you know quite a rare um you know event these days but but that that notion of independence is that um absolutely paramount do you think is that something that um uh investors look for they look for that rigorous challenge on the board I think they, they they certainly do look for it and they are entitled to look for it. Um, the last thing you want is a board which is going to rubber stamp what the executives want to do because at the end of the day, they might as well not be there then. Um, independence is absolutely vital and that comes back to the point about um, you know being able to walk away because that's the ultimate, your ultimate sanction. So I think... Investors not only are entitled to look for, but do look for that independence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was Michael Grade, of course, uh, um, you know, a great figure at ITV who did say that, that, that Neds were like B-days, I think. They, they always look very nice, but you're never quite sure what to do with them. But I think that does date him slightly. May say more about him than the non-execs as well. Yes, yes, okay, okay. But, in, yeah, um, suppose... Um, Lara, you talked about um, you were kind of brought in at, at Ubiquity and really um, interested in the challenge and the transformation and the growth opportunity and so on. And then the governance and the other stakeholders kind of, you know, come along as well. I mean, do you have concerns that the the, the responsibilities placed on you on the board uh, look as if they're increasing? There's There's new measures around internal controls. And um, and then you know ESG is um, is a huge commitment from the board to make sure that the company is really um, on top of. I mean, I think that's true across the board, both from a executive and non-executive level. So I'm certainly seeing that sort of additional, uh, you know, accountability and responsibility kind of in all parts of my career portfolio at the moment. Um, I mean, the reality of it is, and I'm speaking from someone who's been in media for, for many years, but particularly in the last five years when consumer behavior, last five to 10 years when consumer behavior has completely changed over COVID, for example, and more and more, you know, more and more, you know, has moved on to digital. And obviously, you know, everyone has, you know, there's been an increased awareness on climate and sustainability issues. Um, a lot more emphasis on um, kind of social aspects and well-being. I mean, I think in general, as a as a manager, as a leader, as a as a director, there's you know your the the portfolio of responsibilities that you that you need to care about has increased tremendously, and there's a lot more pressure on any manager at any level, leader or executive or non-executive director. I think. You know, um, so I, I agree. I think that there's a lot of responsibility, but I think it's everywhere. And I think it's right that a non, non-executive, that, that the board should be thinking about kind of all of these issues. But obviously, it does increase kind of, um, you know, time commitment and effort commitment, energy commitment. Yeah. And I think the boards need, need to sort of achieve some sort of balance in how it you know addresses and covers all of these different issues and all of the different stakeholders and shareholders shareholders and stakeholders um, in a in a way that is sustainable 
um, I'm not sure that we've got the balance right in general. I think we're still finding our way through, if I'm honest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, does uh, David, I mean, when when you're doing a search, you know, are there a significant number of people that do walk away when you explain the commitment, the responsibility? Um, not really, because most of them have already gone through that that thought process beforehand. But I do, I think, um, you know, it's absolutely right what, what Larry was saying. I mean, and it's hits on two, two, two bits of the, of the non-exec thing. One is uh, the level of detail that a non-executive director is expected to have known if something goes wrong is often completely at odds with being a non-executive. Um, you know, if you take a very simple, I, I look at things very simplistically, you either trust your executives or you fire them. Because if you don't trust your executives, you should fire them. Um, and therefore, if your executive tells you that it's raining outside, you shouldn't need to have to look. And therefore, what you're told, you, have, you should be taking on trust. But often when something goes wrong, even if it's three layers away from the board, suddenly the non-exec director is expected to have known what was going on. And the other issue around the amount of regulatory responsibilities that the board is being expected to undertake is the fact that that starts to take away from the bit that actually they can really add value to, which is around strategy, direction, business planning, etc. And I've seen boards literally spend 85% of their time on corporate governance and suddenly think at the end of it, when everybody's nafted, oh, we better go back and start thinking about strategy. Uh, and it's it's completely out of kilter. Uh, and I, and I'm, I, I've been, you know this, Jones, I've been talking about the possibility of having a corporate governance board alongside the uh, the other non-execs, just purely to allow those non-execs who are in full-time role to be able to contribute where they can most, because otherwise the amount of corporate governance stuff, stuff that they're being asked to look at is, is massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're we're transmitting in in audio, but recording in video. So when when David said you should fire everyone, Lara, I was looking at your expression, and I'm not sure. It feels <laughs> like they're safe at ubiquity for the time being. But I but think does, they're doing a good job. Yes. But does that resonate? The the um, it is. I mean, actually, the the how you commit to those whatever it is, the five hours in in the board meeting, how that's sliced up um, into all the different responsibilities and areas you you have to um, you have to consider. That's quite an art. I mean, between the chair and the, the company secretary, it's there's quite a choreography there, isn't there? Oh, ab absolutely. And I think we're you know uh, the board that I'm on is absolutely fantastic. We have an uh, award-winning chair. Um, who is very experienced, um, and I think they're always working. And a and a company secretary, whom I know you know, James, who who is brilliant as well. And they're always working to get the right balance in terms of the exposure that the board gets to, you know, what it is the business is is, is doing, kind of operationally and strategically, because it is a transforming business, and so. You can't sort of take the the strategy and the operational aspect completely for granted. 
it's true. Um, I think you're right, David. I think, you know, you have to have confidence in the executives and and you're there to guide them and, and, and occasionally challenge them. Um, but ultimately, you trust your executives. Um, they are there day, day to day and they're running the business and in our case, running it extremely well. So it is, it is for the board to kind of get a good balance between, you know, what, what is happening in terms of execution and delivery at a high level um, uh, and obviously the, the corporate governance aspect. I think at Ubiquity, we're quite lucky with, you know, as I said, we've got brilliant company secretary and, you know, we have um, a number of advisors across all of the different governance areas uh, that we rely on to provide the board with, you know, the information that we need to, you know, fulfill our duties and, and you know, and, and bring the right questions to us when we do need to make some tough decisions. Yeah. Um, but I can imagine for, you know, maybe some other companies being able to orchestrate all of those different sort of partners uh, across, you know, multiple different governance areas can be actually quite, um, uh, you know, quite a lot of effort, energy yeah. and cost um, to, to, to be able to do that. Yeah. David, um let me ask you about diversity. How is that improving decision-making, do you think, particularly among small and mid-caps? And I'm curious as to where you think the expertise is lacking. I'm looking at our QCA non-exec director's survey from 2022. 60% of respondents said it was cyber and IT uh, where boards were lacking. So thoughts on diversity and thoughts on cyber, please. Um, thoughts on diversity is I think we need to uh, come away from where we currently are and actually think about what we mean by diversity and why we why there was this push for diversity and it's about you know diversity of thinking and one of the issues that we've got at the moment is that a lot of the appointments are whether the whether the individual is you know qualified or not they are tick box appointments we need to have somebody who ticks these appropriate boxes and that is the most important bit over and above their ability to do the job and i think that that is really quite quite dangerous um especially as we um look at look at the whole the whole makeup of the board and you know the, the people are being were are now being appointed to boards purely to fill quotas um because that's what that is what the corporate governance gurus sitting in the, in the uh, various agencies are saying if you don't we're going to vote against you um which i think is a problem as far as cyber and it is concerned interestingly we actually ran a, a breakfast briefing on this two weeks ago uh, boards are feeling very, very concerned about cyber and the whole IT issue. The problem is that often they don't know the questions to ask and they don't understand the answers that they're given. Uh, and, and this is so often the issue isn't really to, that they need somebody who can interpret what the IT guru is saying for the board so that they can understand the, the whole, that totality of it. But it's, 
such a very large area of concern. <coughs> I think we will see boards bringing people onto the board with that, with that cyber background over time. Um, whether they should do or not is again open to question. That's in my mind, that's much more of an advisory role than a non-exec role. What do you think, Lara? I think I think that's right. Actually, I was just thinking as David was talking, um, when sort of new topics come up, um, and you know, in in the sort of digital space, there's there's always something new. So the cyber and IT obviously are really important, especially for companies that handle a lot of data. Um, it's certainly, you know, an area that I'm very familiar with. But then there's things that that kind of come up and some some of it sticks and some of it doesn't. So like uh, crypto a couple of years ago, generative AI that's just come up in the last couple of months. And I can imagine, you know, be very difficult for the board to sort of scramble for, you know, diff you know, you want some stability, I imagine, w within your board uh, with a good uh, with a good composition, a skill set. Um, as David says, I think at different times, you probably need to bring different experts uh, to, you know, to give, give the board a bit of an overview of what this, this new technology is and, and how, and some suggestions for how we might uh, address it. And then the other thing I was thinking about is there are, um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to mention brand names, but there are some kind of uh, uh, organizations that provide, uh, uh, you know, webinars and, and set and, uh, informational, uh, sessions for, uh, members of the board. And I found that actually really helpful when it comes to some, some of the new ideas like generative AI, just kind of putting it into, pers into some perspective. Yes, of course. No, I mean, that's, I mean, and of course I, I should mention one brand name, the QCA, and we do a lot of, um, you know, yes, boardroom training as well. Um, but that's interesting. I can imagine some of these issues because uh, oh, Lara, Lara knows data. She, she must know generative AI. This is this is it. so. No, you can't have one person that can that can cover the whole spectrum of a particular topic. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so look, um, I think uh, it's a very interesting conversation, and I think um, uh, I think what you're saying, and and you two, of course, are a uh, uh, you know a small cross section of um, the people supplying these roles, filling these roles, if you like. Um, but you're saying that. That actually the, the talent is out there. Um, I suppose if we, if we wanted, and actually the roles are manageable and enjoyable and challenging. I suppose the 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 issue is if we want to, what should be done then um, to broaden the pool, nevertheless, of people who uh, really are animated about becoming small or mid cap neds. Is it about is it about getting different people? Is it about getting people? going plural sooner um is it changing pay structures or is it really changing the language because we get very exercised about non-executive and talking to a number of founders who who want to float their companies they don't necessarily want a ned they want a mentor so you know we are we thinking about it in the wrong way so any thoughts on that i think mentor and neds are very different uh, and I think I absolutely agree. Most founders should have a, a mentor stroke coach, but that is very different to the Neds. I think the thing you, you've actually hit on in the way in which you shaped that question is important. We actually need to start looking 
for people who look very different as non-execs. I mean, if you've got a bunch of 50-year-olds, 50, 55-year-olds 50, on a board, irrespective of what their backgrounds are, they will think about things very, very differently to somebody who's 35. Uh, and that I think age is a really important area of diversity that we've completely not thought about. I mean, one of the questions I, I occasionally ask boards is, you know, how many of members of your boards actually use your mobile phone to pay for something? Uh, and I was talking to one board about this, and she said, that's really interesting. We had a board dinner. We all went to the tube. I paid for my ticket on my mobile phone. And one of the other board directors said, what are you doing? <laughs> and I think that encapsulates why we do need to look at getting younger people on the board. And that then, the corollary of that is companies need to be prepared to release people. They don't need to be quite as precious as they often are about perceived conflicts of interest. It's especially the case in the financial services sector, but they shouldn't be worried about conflicts of interest because most people have grown up enough to be able to cope with those sorts of issues. Uh, David, you're such a hipster. I think, I think for many boards, the 50-year-olds are the young people. Well, I rest my case, Your Honour. <laughs> yes. Laura, what do you think? Just coming back to the diversity point, actually, I think I completely agree with, with David. Again, this is, you know, obviously... Uh, uh, a topic both on the executive and the non-executive side, but um, expanding uh, or broadening uh, what we mean by diversity beyond uh, to demographics um, and looking at cognitive diversity and generational diversity is going to be really important. I think for all of those, you know, for all the, the reasons of all of those different changes that have happened in, in society and in our economy in the last five to 10 years, I think if you don't have a broad range of perspectives and even there I say like a completely different perspective and different voice on the board, then you might be missing, might be missing a trick in terms of how companies evolve in this new, sort of new fast paced world. Um, and I've forgotten the second question. It was really about the, um, the you know, if, if we are to broaden the pool or make these roles yes. even more appealing, is it about changing pay structures? Is it about different people, more people going plural? Or is it kind of like reframing the question? Is it about mentors rather than Neds? So, I mean, with my experience, as I said right at the start, I, I was really appreciative of the work that the recruiter did, you know, to, to sort of find me and, and work with me, you know, through this process. So I think, um, you know, being op much more open with the, uh, the pool. And I think you have to be, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're recruiting for diversity and, um, uh, you know, kind of different for different perspectives. You you do need to think quite purposefully, and David will know this about how you're going about the process, right? From the networks that that you go to to look for talent, to how you write the job description, to how you engineer the interview process to be, uh, you know, as as uh, uh, equitable as possible to. 
um, you know, how you onboard talent. I mean, the, the entire process needs to be uh, thought through and, and amended and modified so that you can attract the right talent. And just going back to the recruiter who found me, I think they probably did challenge themselves. So they weren't, you know, just looking for maybe one type of person. They had a remit from the board around specific skill sets that they were looking for. And they were obviously kind of fishing outside the normal pool. Um, uh, so from that point of view, I think that's really important. I think it, recruitment in general this day and age, you just need to kind of think much, much more broadly and challenge conventions. Yeah. And then on the other side, I think, you know, the, the company needs to really um, invest. So if you're bringing someone in that's a little bit different, then the induction process has to be brilliant. The onboarding, um, which, you know, I had an amazing onboarding with all of the executives and across all of the products and services that Ubiquiti offers. Um, and I also had the benefit of the chair uh, mentoring me for the, you know, the, the initial part of when I first started. And that was, um, you know, amazing investment from the company and, and, and also helped, helped me to give more in my, in my service as a non-executive. Excellent. Invest in the process and challenge conventions. I think it's a really good place to, uh, to draw it to a close. So, uh, David, Lara, um, thanks so much for joining us on Growth Capital. Thank you. Thank you. That was a great episode. Thanks to our guests and to our sponsor, Mazar, the audit, tax and advisory firm helping listed businesses grow with purpose. If you want to listen to more episodes of Growth Capital from the QCA, you can subscribe on Spotify or Apple. Please follow us on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Quoted Companies. And if you have questions, comments or future topics that we should cover, please get in touch. <laughs>